are in a series right now called Squad Goals. Turn to the person next to you and say, Squad Goals. Now, I do better than that. Turn to the person on the other side and say, Squad Goals. Now, for you guys that aren't millennials, you guys that are old and decrepit like me, uh, you have no idea what the verbiage squad goals means because you don't ever use that. But the younger guys have been using this term squad goals. And what they mean by that is, you know, me and my friends, we're, gonna, we're all going to work out together and we're all going to lose, you know, 3,000 pounds amongst us. You know, it's squad goals. Or, you know, me and all the other moms with kids, we're going to go and we're going to do a triathlon together. Squad goals. And they will post all that. And so we stole that because the church should be the best squad in the history of humanity. And so we have some goals, and that is that we act like Jesus, that we live Jesus out together. And so with that being said, we've been teaching on the squad goals, or us as a family, us as a team. And we pointed out over the last couple point, uh, parts of the series that uh, God himself didn't, isn't by himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they activate as one, but as three. Jesus, as he walked the planet and ministered, he had 12 folks that he invested in. He had his squad, his team. But some reason, at this stage in Christianity, we think that we can all do it by ourselves, that we just go to church, we listen to our favorite podcast, and we're going to be okay. But at the end of the day, you were created to have relationships. You were created to have men and women that stand beside you, serving your God, serving one another together fighting through a squad goal, if you will. And we looked at last week, we talked about how, you know, as much wickedness is coming on the planet, Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24. He said, listen, the days are going to get so evil that the love of most Christians will grow cold. They'll walk away from me because of the increase in wickedness. And I, I helped you identify our great-grandparents would roll over in their grave if they could see the amount of wickedness that we participate in, even within the church in this hour. And Jesus prophesied that. That would happen. But he continued on to say, but he who stands firm to the end shall be saved. So we have to learn how to stand firm. And so I went to one of the greatest moments in biblical history of men and women standing together, if you will, and we found these three Hebrew boys who refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. All the other Hebrews were down on their face bowing. But these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had each other's back. And they, we pictured that they were looking at each other. I ain't bowing to this. God said there should be no other gods before him. All right, right, let's do it. And then they throw them in the fiery furnace and they survive it because Jesus steps into the fire with them as they stood shoulder to shoulder, back to back and said, we will not bow. And what you and I need as this world is increasing in wickedness is we need a squad that says, you know what? I'm not bowing. You bowing. I'm not bowing. Let's serve God together and have each other's back. You do not become a squad like that by one time uh, here and there having relationship. You've got, that's a relationship that has been developed over time. That thing has been fought out. That has had misunderstandings. That's had misappropriations, and we stayed together even though we were mad at each other last month. We stayed together even though you hurt my heart last, uh, last year. We stayed together, and we fought through so that we could be a squad, and that is what's missing in the church today. What we are doing is we've got our little follow friends on social media. We don't know those people, and those people don't know us, and what, but we present ourselves the best way we can on some social media platform, but the real us is never really known. That's why we have hard times keeping married together in this generation and real friendships together is because we've not really learned how to be a squad. So with that being said, today we're going to dive into what we're calling the power of loyalty. Turn to the person next to you and say, the power of loyalty. Say it again. Say the power of loyalty. Our key scripture is found in the book of Ruth. If you'll turn on your Bibles and go there with me, the book of Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. This is probably a book of the Bible that you read daily, but I'm going to go ahead and use it uh, again. In Ruth chapter 1 verse 16, look at what it says. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Father, I pray that over the next couple moments that you would give us revelation of a squad where we don't even give us insight on ourselves. Lord, where we don't have a squad, where we don't even really know how to be loyal because others have been disloyal to us, how to fight through that, and how to have a kind of spiritual family, kind of friendships that can last through the wickedness that's coming upon this world and cause us to keep standing. Lord, I pray revelation now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, the book of Ruth, we're basically going to study the book of Ruth real quick, and I'm not going to read all the verses and all the chapters of it, but let me kind of give you the storyline. So over 3,000 years ago, we have this moment in Israel's history 
where they come into a time of famine, like typically happens. Israel continued to go back and forth whether or not they were going to love God. And every time they would go wayward, God would say, okay, pick his, you walked away from me, then go live out where you want to live. And then famine and difficulty and hardship would come. And then they would wake up you know, after a few hundred years and repent and, and make God their God, Jehovah God their God again and go back to the relationship. Well, it's in one of those moments. And this family with uh, Eleazar and, uh, and Naomi, they're this young couple, and they said, listen, we're all dying here, let's go somewhere else where we can survive. Now, if you've never been around poverty, I'm talking about real poverty, not United States poverty, even though this impoverished person here is not in the same difficulty as poverty like in an African nation or in, in, in South America in some places, or even Haiti, which is the poorest country in our hemisphere, and I've been there numerous times. And when you see real poverty, real pain, you recognize something. For example, even the Christians in Haiti are not, they will steal from you. You say, why would a Christian do that? They're in such pain, and they don't know where their next meal is coming from, and you have something, and, 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 and they will literally say, you know what? I can justify that because I cannot survive if I don't do something radical. And we find this happening with Naomi and her husband in chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. And her and her husband decide, you know, we're going to go to Moab. Now, Moab are the enemies of the Israelites. They've been ancient en enemies. They have hated each other. The Moabites serve all these wicked, false gods, whereas the Israelites serve the one true God, and so they're constantly back and forth and warning. Now, here's this little Israelite couple who says, it's so bad in Israel, let's go to Moab. At least they got, least they got some food over there. And so they go, they abandon everybody, and they go there. And while they're there, they have, uh, Naomi gives birth to two sons, and in the midst of having these sons and raising their family and trying just to survive and going from, you know, poverty to maybe a little bit of food on the table, working their tail off, they finally get to the place probably where they're settled, and the boys, they end up marrying Moabite women, and then the dad dies. But that's okay, because Naomi, the mom, she's got the boys to take care of them and their wives. Then the Bible says in chapter 1 that both the, husband, both the boys die. And so now Naomi is left with two daughter-in-laws. She's poor as all get out. And she, they're, not, they're, they're not even, you know, her, her same DNA, if you will. She's grown up serving Jehovah God. They've grown up serving the false gods of Moab. And so she makes a decision, I'm going back to my people in Israel. I'm going to go back to them. And so she sits these two girls down who she loves. They're her daughter-in-laws. And she says, listen, there is nothing here for me. I, uh, uh, you know, I, I believe the famine's probably over. I'm going to go back to my people and see if I can survive over there. And my suggestion to you, since you're from another culture, since, since we've already fought through the whole cultural thing, uh, I don't know if they'll accept you back there. And not only that, but I'm old, I'm decrepit, and I, just, I can't take care of you. My, my suggestion is you go back to your people from, where you're, from the state that you're from, and, 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 and we'll just split ways. And in that, in that engagement, one of the daughter-in-laws, Orpha, says, absolutely, I'm out of here. God bless you. Go and sin no more. But then we pick up where our key verse is in verse 16, and we find that Ruth says something totally different. In fact, I want to read you a little bit more of what she said. But Ruth replied, verse 16, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you will stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God is going to be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, your God, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. What happened in this moment was Naomi had an understanding. My daughter-in-law, Ruth, she loves me so much. And she is so loyal that I can't even push her away. Can I explain something to you today? What's missing in the church is loyalty. What's missing in the church is loyalty. This little old lady has nothing to give this girl. This girl is a chance young and vibrant. She has the ability to go back and find another dude to marry her. She's got another chance at life. But if she goes with this poor little old lady back to her people that probably are pretty much still in a famine season... What do they have to look forward to? But she makes a statement, the power of loyalty. She says, your people are my people. Where you go, I will go. And I won't even let death separate. God forbid if I let anything come between you and me. She's saying, I will be loyal to you even if you're not loyal to me. I will be loyal to you even if you have nothing to give me. Here, here's the problem with our generation. Our generation is only loyal as long as we have personal benefit. Because our generation has been overwhelmed with the concept of with them. 
Do you know what whiffle means? What's in it for me? So the moment I don't perceive there's a whole lot in this for me, I'm out. That's our generation. Oh, but we talk about the great generation, the World War generation, those men and women who laid down their lives and were faithful to our nation, faithful to one another in the midst of trouble and difficulty. We talk about that group, about how great they were. And the reason why we say they're great comes down to one factor, loyalty. They were loyal when they didn't have always the best presidents. They were loyal to one another when they were in difficulty and they didn't have enough food for themselves, but they shared it with one another. In fact, we're going to learn today the power of loyalty has the ability to get the Redeemer on the scene when nothing else brings the Redeemer on the scene. As you continue reading into chapter 2, so they, into chapter 1, they go on to Israel. They go to Bethlehem. And as they come into Bethlehem, oh, some of the ladies of the little, you know, the little group that, you know, uh, all, every, everybody knows everything that's going on. They start going, isn't this Naomi? Who's this little Moabite woman with her? And then find out the story. Now, they don't have any money. I mean, literally, they are homeless. They don't have any money. They don't have any income source. And typically in those days, like I've taught you before, when you have a woman in this situation, that's where they would end up in prostitution. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, Naomi ain't going to end up in prostitution. Ain't nobody want to be with her. But we've got Ruth on the other hand. So they've got these options. It's not a whole lot. I mean, they are homeless. I mean, they are living in a van down by the river. I mean, this is, this is who they are. But in this time, as they come back, it's, it's in the middle of the wheat harvest or, or the barley harvest. And what they would do is, is these great uh, you know, uh, farmlands would have all this wheat growing. And, and when the wheat came, uh, came into fruition, you had to go and get it quick. So they would work 24 hours a day bringing in this wheat. And what they would do is they would cut the stalks with their you know, machete-looking things. And they would usually leave a piece of stalk about this much. And as they cut it, some of the wheat particles would fall down to the ground. Well, it was two things culturally in Israel to do with that. First off, business-wise, it's not a smart move to have your workers worrying about the little pieces that fell off to the side when you've got this big stalk of grain that we need to quickly get it t- taken care of because we don't want any of the grain uh, rotting on the, uh, on, on, on the uh, stalk. We've got to get it brought in quickly. And, and, and they're constantly working fast because there's a small window to get that thing in before it begins to go bad. And so they're cutting and they're moving and they're bundling and they're taking it up on the, on the threshing floor. And so this is a moment where you've been working all year to see this harvest come in. And so Boaz is this man who owns a grandiose uh, stake of land, and he's in the middle of bringing it in. And so what they would then, the first reason they would not necessarily worry about the little pieces that fell is because it just wasn't a good business assistant. The second reason is that they justified, hey, let's let the poor people come behind us, the homeless people, and they can take their time and pick up little grains, and maybe they can even get enough to have a meal by the end of the day. Well, Ruth, being this beautiful young woman, says, you know what? Naomi, there's nothing else we can do. I'm going to go out to that field in the heat of the day, and I'm going to pick the little pieces to get enough that we can have a little bit of bread, a little bit of substance. And she would go out there every day, every day. Well, the owner of the field is a man named Boaz, and he notices her. Look at this beautiful woman coming day in and day out. So he starts asking, who is this? They said, well, this is, this is Ruth. She's a Moabite woman. What's a Moabite woman doing here? Well, said Naomi, 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 Naomi. Oh, isn't that her and Elia? They had left years ago and went to, yeah, that's right. They left all of us and went somewhere because they were trying to survive. Yeah, well, she's come back and, and, and her husband's died. Her boys have died. Oh, my goodness, that's so tragic. Yep, and not only that, but she's brought back one of her daughter-in-laws. And the Moabite girl, she's here with us. That's who that is? Yeah, wow, she's fine. Yeah, I know, right? She's good looking. There's something. A little different skin tone, but she's fine. Talking about two different groups now. Stay with that thing, because we're fighting this whole racial thing still in the United States. And so he goes, wow, that's amazing. And so then Naomi goes, and she applies to the, she appeals to the elders. Who will redeem me? you got to understand, in, in Jewish culture, if your brother died, and you were the only other brother, it was your responsibility to take on his wife and kids and care for them. And if you had no brother, then your cousin, it was the cousin's responsibility. Had no cousin, you see what I'm saying, down through the family line. And so, and so Naomi said, hey, we want to be able to be like their family line needs to be here for us. And so they found the guy who was the next one to be able to be like their redeemer. And he's like, nah, I ain't fooling with no Moabite woman. I don't have to fool with this. Boaz has been watching this little girl. He's been watching this whole scenario. He's fallen in love with her. And he's fallen in love with her not because she's so sexy. He's not falling in love with her because she's got so much money. Stay with me. She's not falling in love with her for any other reason other than that woman's loyal. That woman's day in and day out caring for a little bitter little old 
old lady who has nothing to give her. I, as a rich man, I don't know if anyone wants to marry me because they, they, you know, they're gold digging. I don't know why everybody else has attention. But this woman, she doesn't even ask me for anything. She just gets out there and she works hard to take care of this little old lady. That's the kind of loyalty I want. Can I explain something to you? The whole conflict between humans and God comes down to loyalty. All throughout scripture, we see that God is so frustrated with his people because they begin to be disloyal. And he's saying, listen, I'm loyal. Aren't you glad that God is loyal to you? The Bible says it like this. His mercies are renewed every morning. Aren't you glad that you don't wake up every day and he's like, "Uh uh-huh, yesterday you did this. How you gonna pay for that? The day before you did this, we wake up and every day, brand new slave, his mercies are renewed every morning. That's, That's loyalty. Aren't you grateful that the God that we serve says, I will never leave you and I will not forsake you. And that's why sin is so detrimental because it pulls us away from the greatest love relationship we could ever have. And he's saying, I'm being loyal to you. Jesus said it like this. I loved you before you even knew I existed. I cared for, I went to the cross before you were even born for you. That's a loyalty that makes up real relationships. There's power in loyalty. And we see in this moment that Boaz steps up and he said, I will pay for anything and I want to marry this girl. And he redeems them. They go from being poor with nothing to now being The queen, if you will, of that region, the richest man in the whole region, has just married Ruth and taken on Naomi to care for her as well. It's a powerful moment. It's a supernatural moment. And when you look down in chapter 4, let me read this to you in verse 13. It says, And so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then all the little chat-chat women all around the little town, they said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. This grandbaby is gonna, this grandbaby's been given to you, Naomi, and it's gonna, he's going to be famous, and he's going to change the world. Keep going. Throughout all Israel, he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child. He took the child in her arms. (laughs) Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and he and they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, who is the father of King David, who is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So he takes this pagan, wicked, sexy of a mama young girl. And how does she become the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus? I want you to understand something. Because God is watching every one of us. And he's looking for loyalty. And when he sees loyalty, it gets the attention of the Redeemer. And he says, I can use that. I can use them. I will promote them. I will, I will bring them up because in hard times, they stayed loyal. When everybody else was quitting, they didn't quit. They stayed side by side with me and with the people of God. They didn't quit on them. They didn't fall, walk away from them. Orpah went on. I don't know what she did. We don't know anything else about the other daughter-in-law. I'm sure she found a good dude. They probably got married, had a little picket fence, had a little pond, you know, 2.5 kids, you know, the average, you know, American dream or whatever. But she didn't give birth to the king of kings, the king of kings come through her lineage. That didn't happen for her. Why? Because she wasn't loyal. Guys, can I tell you something? The Redeemer is looking for loyalty. He's looking for loyalty. He's like, will you be there when everyone else has quit on me and each other? Will you stay faithful? She said, your people are my people. Where you go, I go. Where you die, I will die. And your God is going to be my God. Oh, to have that again in the church. Oh, to have that again in the United States. To have men and women together, each other's back, and say, no, I don't care. I'm with him. I'm with her. We're standing together. Can I tell you something? It's one of the greatest tricks of the enemy to get you bouncing from place to place, relationship to relationship. That it's going to be better on the other side. Well, this ain't good for me anymore. This ain't good for me anymore. This ain't good for me anymore. Friend, every person in this room that's been married more than 30 years will tell you something. They'll tell you, was it hard? Yep. Did you ever think about stabbing him? Every day. 
Did you think about divorce? Nope, I wanted his money. I don't know about do that. I told my wife, we, we saw somebody she was flirting with when she was in high school, that she was halfway biking, you know, and almost dated and stuff. We saw them on, uh, on social media, and, and they, weren't, they weren't as great as I am. And so, uh, <laughs> come on, y'all done that? I said, uh-huh. I said, see what happened if, I said, see what happened if you'd have married them? She said, if I'd have married them, they'd be you. <laughs> I'd have made that man great. <laughs> I want to teach you the power of loyalty. Write this down with me. The power of loyalty. Let me tell you what loyalty does. Number one, loyalty fights through. It fights through offense. Loyalty fights through offense. When you look back in chapter 1 in verse 19, when Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem, Look what happens in verse 19. It says, So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. She got offended at God. She's mad at God. She's mad at life. She's mad at her husband for being dead. She's mad at her boys for being dead. She said, I'm changing my name. Change me to bitter. I'm not Naomi. I'm just go around. Hey, there's bitter. Hey, bitter. She changed my name because I'm bitter. Can you imagine trying to be loyal to someone who's bitter? Ruth is loyal. She says, hey, bitter little old lady, your people are my people. Hey, bitter, mean little old lady. You know, when someone's bitter, they affect you. I mean, it's, you don't even want to be around them. It's like, oh, like, like man, you have no friends because you always are offended. And offended people offend people. They're always offended people. I can always tell who's offended because they're always offending us. It's like, yeah, you're offended. And I can always tell people who are bitter because they, nothing is good enough. Nothing is, nothing is good enough. Well, I might have got a raise, but I deserve six more raises. Well, I might have got this, but back in the day I had this and it got taken from me. Well... My new husband might be okay, but my first husband shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have done this. Well, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, good God Almighty. This is Naomi. But Ruth fights through that thing. Yeah. Loyalty fights through that thing. And you know she's offending her. You know she's hurting her feelings. You know she's talking bad about Ruth. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You was out there in that field, wasn't you? Pulled your skirt up a little high so they could see your legs, didn't you? You little hoochie. <laughs> I mean, she's got to be thinking, I am out there for you, old woman. Like, I don't have to be here. But she fights through the offense. This is what's missing in the church. Can I just say this to you? If we haven't offended you yet here at Church on the Hill, keep coming. We're going to get you. Jamie, uh, Jamie, years ago, I was in the middle of worship, and I started to know she just started stepping away from me. I'm like, oh, worshiping God? She's stepping away. Finally, I was like, why do you keep walking away from me when I worship? She goes, because you hit me the whole time. I was like, well, if you would worship... She's like, I am worshiping, but I'm not going to get beat up in the process of it. Can I, the people you're the closest to, as you're doing your best to try to serve God, you're going to bump into them. You're going to bruise them. As you're going through the offenses of life and the hardships of your life, you're going to bump into them. But loyalty says, I will fight through the fact that you just tried to offend me. I will fight through that, and I'll say, you know what? I love you. Your people are my people. Even right now, I don't even like you, but your people are my people. Especially with us as a church who's trying to blend, we're trying to blend races you got to understand, we're so different. Black folk are different than white folk. White folk are different than Hispanic folk. Hispanic folk, Asian folk, we're all, we all have these little cultural pieces that we love about us, but they're, they're, sometimes they cause us to rub each other. You, you don't understand? I'll give you a great example. All my white friends, they pull nose first into a parking spot. All my black friends, they back up. <laughs> you know why? I'll tell you why. Because they're going to get there fashionably late, but they're going to be the first one out the door, and they had nothing in there. Where, <laughs> we're gone. The way they go to movies. White people, the whole time they're sitting in movies, they just sitting there looking at it. Black people talk the whole time. Oh, my God. How stupid can you be to go up in a house at midnight? You know you're going to get, ah, oh, see white people. Y'all so stupid. <laughs> and so you start blending that, and you start bumping into each other. 
And so what we're, what's happening here is we're saying, you know what? We love each other. We will fight for each other. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. Lord forbid it if I die not standing beside you in this whole thing. And it's only going to get worse, guys. But we've got to learn how to be loyal to one another. How to be, listen, we got people vote totally different than each other. And we're not sitting around pointing that out and saying, rah, 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 rah. no, 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 we're going to be loyal to each other. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Offense, the whole purpose of Satan's offending, causing people to offend one another is so he can isolate you. Isolate you. That's the whole thing. Just get you out there. Well, you know, they don't. And I went to a small group one time back in the day, and they told on me and said this and posted all about this, da 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 That's his plan. Get you out there by yourself. Do you not watch nature? What do predators do? What do they do? They try to separate and get you off of the herd, get you away from the herd. Because when you all together, it's like, come on, let's go. Come on, tigers. We'll stomp on you. Bunch of elephants, but they, they try to get that little elephant off to the side by himself, that little zebra off by the side. But when he's in a herd, man, you can't stop us. We'll run your butt over. But when you get him off to the side, the next thing you know, you're standing there and all the hyenas are walking around you. <laughs> and you're like, Mufasa! You know, so I mean, you got to learn to fight through the, lo- fight through the offense. That's what loyalty does. Loyalty fights through the offense. No one has ever hurt this little lady sitting on the front row as much as I have. Not because I'm wicked or mean or because she loves me so much and I love her so much. So when I'm stupid, it, it's deeper than when you're stupid. She expects you to be stupid, but not me. And so when I say something stupid or don't do something or forget something, she's like, don't you love me? I do. I'm just stupid. I'm sorry. But that, that cuts deeper because there's love there. And so, and, and so we've got to fight through the offenses and say, I'm loyal to you even though I don't like you right now. You should have never posted that. That ain't right. But I love you, and I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for us. I'm a Matthew 18. I'm going to come and sit your butt down. I'm going to say to you, this is what you did. And we're going to make it right. We're going to fight for one another. We're going to fight together, not against each other. That's what loyalty does. It fights through the offense. If you're, if you're, if you're living in, in, a, in some type of fantasy world where you're going to go to a perfect church, and it's going to be perfect, that doesn't exist. In fact, if there was a perfect church, the moment you showed up, it would cease to be perfect. Okay, so we're a bunch of imperfect people just doing our best to love God. And what we need to learn to do is fight through all the offense and say, I'm loyal to you. I'm loyal to you. I'm loyal to you. Doesn't matter what everybody else says. I'm loyal to you. I'm a certain, your God is my God. Your people are my people. And I'll, I'll, shame on me if I die and separated from you. We're going to do this thing together. Here's the second thing that you'll find the power of loyalty does, and that is it fights through busyness. I'm just so busy. I just can't have no friends at the church. Listen, real loyalty fights through the business, fights through it, and says, you know what, I'm going to get there, I'm going to make it happen no matter what's going on. I can't tell you how many times Jamie and I have had 1,700 things going in a day, and small group was going to be that night, we're all getting together with small group, and we come flying in there five minutes late, pull up, come walking in, everybody's eating chips and dips and looking at us like, you late? <laughs> like, you lucky I'm even here right now, I'm telling you right now. Fight through the busyness to have relationship. Fight through it. We're all busy. And that's one of the other enemies' plan. If I can't isolate you, then I'll get you so busy that you have no relationship. That you have nobody you feel like has your back. That you don't feel any loyalty in any relationship. That you're nervous of every relationship. That you're suspect of every relationship. Mm-hmm. What did he mean by that? See? I knew that they were forgetting my birthday. See? See? That's his plan. That's his whole plan. And everybody's so busy, and you don't know how to fight through their busyness. You don't know how to fight through your own busyness to bond and be loyal to one another. And you got to learn to do it. We've got to say, you know what? I may be busy, but you're part of why I'm busy, because I love you. I'm, I'm going to be busy about you. I'm going to add that and take this off my plate. I'm going I'm to make this a priority. Because you know what? You lo- what you prioritize is what you love. Okay? And so we got to love one another. we got to prioritize relationships. we got to text one another back and forth. we gotta, we got to create, you know, little group me's and things like that. Then we get back and forth with each other. Hey, I'm praying for you right now. i got you back. Don't worry about this. We need each other. We need to be like the New Testament church. They met house to house. They had little home churches all over the place. They were together. They fought it out together. When everyone says, what is this cult called the way? What is this Christianity thing? In fact, the word Christianity was a joke to embarrass them. They're your followers of Christ. <laughs> and they embraced it. Oh, yeah, great. Christians, that's what we'll be. Like, oh, we were trying to dog you out. But wow, okay, you embraced it and called it your name. Wow. 
That's where the, whole, the term Christianity came from. It was a joke against us. That, you know, you're following that guy named Christ. The Christ, not the Christ. <laughs> you big idiots, you big stupid, unintelligent, uninformed, dumb people. Look at you. <clears throat> and then we embrace this. And no, that's what we are. We are followers of Christ. And you can't imagine what they were all facing and fighting. They were taking and putting them in jail. They were killing Christians in the New Testament church. The only reason Christianity survived is because the Christians said we are loyal to one another till death, to the death, got each other's back. We watch out for each other. And it's time for the church to rise up again and for you and I to have relationships in the body of Christ that we're loyal to, that are loyal to us, even though it may hurt us at times. Here's the third thing that <clears throat> loyalty does, and that is it fights through pain. It fights through pain. Listen, you've got to understand this. If you're going to be loyal in relationships, there are friends that you're going to have in the church that are going to go through things. And their pain, their pain is going to affect you. They're, they're going to go into it. They're going to have times of depression. They're going to have times of like, like they're not there for you like you thought they should because they're in pain. Because they're going through something. And that's when loyalty steps up and says, I know you're going through something. I know you won't return my phone call, but I love you. I'm here for you. I want to come by. In fact, I might just sneak by your house tomorrow. And, uh, and I know you're, you're screening my calls. I know that, you know, you're blocking me. But I'll tell you, I love you, and I'm, not, I'm fighting for you. And, and, and it can be painful. But what loyalty does is fight through the pain. It says, you know what? Uh, this, is not, this is not necessarily good for me. This is not necessarily healthy for me. But I love them so much that I'll fight through their bad wicked temper right now and love them through it. Every person that I've ever met that have strong relationships will tell you how, how times of pain, uh, how many times of difficulty they went through and the pain that that person was suffering and they took it out on me. And anybody who's ever been in any relationship that's gone the distance, they'll say there were times where I just was hard on her. I was hard on him. My bro, man. And he stayed with me, man. No one else stayed with me, but you stayed with me. I was a jerk in that time. You stayed with me. You're the only one who called me when I was in prison and, and wrote me letters. You're the only one who, who, who reached out to me when I was going through a divorce and acting a fool and cheating on my wife. You're the only one. You're the only one. And I know I hurt you and I hurt everybody else. I created the pain that I was in, but you stayed faithful to me. And those are the relationships that get the attention of the Redeemer. He looks and goes, that's what I'm looking for. That's Christianity. That's goodness. That's righteousness. It's loyalty power of loyalty. And here's the fourth thing that loyalty does, and that is it fights through the shame. It fights through the shame. Over the years, doing small group life and having friends, and it, it, I mean, it, it just, I can't tell you how many times trying to bond with someone, trying to be friends with someone, trying to help someone grow in their Christian walk, but the shame kept them from being honest. And can I just tell you something? Inauthenticity is a barrier between genuine relationships. If you want the kind of relationship that you have each other's back, then everyone in that relationship has to be authentic. And one of the problems that most non-Christians have with Christians is that we're fake, or at least how they see us. We say one thing from the pulpit, we jump, jump around in our little songs, we have our little Christian t-shirts, but you get us in the parking lot of Walmart, We'll cuss you up one side and down the other. You get to working with us at an office, and we will compete and lie and manipulate and gossip about you just like everybody else. Never forget the young man who told me that. He said, you Christians, I have a, I, I, why would I want to be a Christian? I was out witnessing one time. He said, why would I want to be a Christian? You guys drink the same stuff I drink, smoke the same stuff I smoke, just as angry and bitter as I am. You, in fact, you got less friends than I got because you all lie about each other. He said, you got to get up on Sunday mornings and go do your duty. I get to go play golf. I don't want your stuff. Made a good point. And the Bible actually says it like this. They'll know that we are Christians, followers of Christ, by the way we love one another, by our loyalty to one another. So what happens is we start trying to get into some relationships, and then the enemy starts reminding us that we've got sin. Who doesn't? That's the problem, is that we keep pretending like we all have it together. I'll never get one of the men in our small group, time where the men and women kind of had a separated out, and the men were in one section of a, of a place just talking and praying, and women were another, and one of these men looked at me, and he said, he said, I want to tell you all something I've never told anybody. 
It took him months before he would open up about his shame. He said, I have same-sex attractions. And he was just waiting to see. We're going to be like, ooh, gross. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, dude, you're supposed to be a Christian. We didn't. We were like, dude, come here. Because, see, you got to understand, doctrinally, there is no leveling in sin. Sin is sin. Heterosexual sin is just as much sin as homosexual sin. It's just as much sin as you gossiping, lying, and cheating. It's all sin before God. It's all not God's nature. It all goes against what he set up as what righteousness looks like. And so when we embraced him and said, we got you, bro. We're going to walk through this together. We weren't scared. Ooh, he's going to start creeping on us. He'd do anything like that. We said, and you know why he had that? Because he actions, they don't, they just, the Bible tells us when we have the love of the Father, all the other sins and attractions, they don't, they just don't, they don't matter anymore, right? And so all he knew was every relationship that, you know, that he tried to have with another man was weird and awkward and even some of them turned into sexual. So he didn't know how to love brothers and how to have brothers love him for just who he was and what he was going through. And we got, we can't gather around that guy. We pray for him every day. We're texting back and forth. How you doing with that, bro? Listen, we got you back. Don't worry about you. And it, it, listen, it was just a matter of him even confessing what he was shameful of, and it broke the back of that thing. And I'm telling you, he's one of the greatest ministers today that I've ever known, living a great life with great family and all this kind of thing. We all have to bring our shame to the table and allow loyalty to cover it over and say, we love you. Where you go, we go. Your people are our people. Your shame is our shame. Your pain is our pain. Because what Christians do is the moment that one of us start going through something, we walk away like, oh my God, I want to be, ooh, ooh, hope you make it. God bless you. But what loyalty does is jump in and says, you know what? You may go, you're going through this. We're going through it with you. We're going through it together. You're wrong. You made decisions that were wrong. You need to repent. But we're right here by you. We got you. Let's go. Come on, we'll carry you across the finish line. And this is what's been lacking. And this is why we're trying to be a small group-based church because you got to understand, if something happens tomorrow, they shut down Christians having public meetings, call it hate crimes for preaching the word. How will we survive? We've got to be in relationship. How do you think that the pastor knows that you weren't here? How could I know that? I ain't that smart. I've proven that every Sunday when I preach. You're like, eh. So what we see in biblical uh, strategy is that we come together as a family and we got each other's back. And we don't need the preacher or the pastors or the worship person. We, we got to stop creating heroes by the people who stand on the stage. And we got to be loyal to one another. And in that, that's heroic. That's supernatural. That's where the miracles happen. And then we gather together on Sundays or Saturday nights or whenever we gather and we worship together and then we go out as a squad and we take the world for Jesus and we got each other's back and we fight face, not face to face, but instead back to back, shoulder to shoulder. This is what God's been trying to do in the earth. And it, we're like salmon swimming upstream because as a church, I just, as your pastor, I just refuse to, number one, make myself the great hero and number two, to make this a place where all you do is come and consume. I, I refuse consumer Christianity. That you and I have a role to play. Each one is needed. Every part, you're a part of this body. And this group of people needs you. And this, this guy, he's, he, he's never had a white friend who was actually a good guy. And he needs to be in small group with you. And this lady right here, all she's ever had happen to her is all the young people talk bad about her and abandoned her. She needs somebody younger in her life. We need each other to stand side by side, and we've got to learn the power of loyalty. When God looks down and he sees loyalty in this little Moabite woman, he says, that's who I'm going to bring the Son of God through her line, through her family line. I'm going to bring it through her, through her, because she understands me and my nature, because I'm a God who's loyal when you're not loyal to me. I'm faithful when you're not faithful to me. I love when you don't love me. I show kindness when you show anger towards me. I could destroy you with the blink of my eye, with the snap of my finger, but instead I embrace you and I love you even when you don't want me to, even when you won't let me. This is who our God is, and this is who we're supposed to be with one another. Would you stand with me all across the room quickly? The power of loyalty. Would you say it with me? The power of loyalty. One more time. The power of loyalty. 
Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment, just to create a space where you can think and talk to God? Could you just kind of quiet yourself and try not to move around, please, for the next couple moments? I want people to be able to hear, hear God's voice and enjoy His presence and talk to Him. I have a couple questions from, from the Lord for you. In my time of prayer and preparation, He said, ask Him this, Adam. Number one, are you loyal? Are you loyal? Are you faithful to a relationship even when there's no value to you? Do you, do you serve that relationship even though at times it feels like you get nothing out of it? The second question he wanted me to ask you was this. Do you have any loyal Christian friends that you wake up every day knowing they have your back and you got theirs? Do you even know how to develop relationships? I'm trying so hard here at Church on the Hill to help you. I can't do it for you though. My goodness, we're doing days of summer. I got a whole front of our buildings called the small group commons just to help you try to meet friends called them small groups just simply because we just wanted you to find some Christian friends I teach on it every day it seems like do you have that do you have any godly Christian friends that have your back that are loyal to you and you're loyal to them then what would you have to do to start developing that well you're going to have to fight through offense for what that last person did to you you're going you're gonna to have to be willing to slow your life down enough, fight through the busyness to develop those kind of relationships. You're going to have to stop making excuses. The pain that it's going to cause you, the difficulty that's going to happen, you're going to have to fight through. You're going to have to make a decision. So as you stand here, here and now, I need you to make a decision. Do you want those kind of friendships? Do you want a squad? Do you want to be in a relationship with other Christians? And I, I need you to lay down the excuses. Well, you know, I don't do well with skinny white people. You know, I don't do well with people who, who don't have English as a second language. You, you know, I, I struggle, you know, to trust other men or other ladies need you to be willing to fight through it's going to be hard I can't imagine what it was like going out every day in the sun sticking my hands down into the dirt trying to pull out a little grain of wheat and get enough of them over hours to make my bitter mother-in-law enough cornmeal to have a little piece of bread so we can live another day with no hopes of a future that's what loyalty looks like. That's why Ruth is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. The Redeemer pays attention to loyalty. The Redeemer is motivated by our loyalty. Loyalty is proven in hardship. Loyalty is proven when it's not sexy and it's not popular it's where it's developed Father I pray for every man and woman in church on the hill God I pray that their desire that their desire to be a part of a body of people a squad, a small group whatever we call it it's got each other's back and fighting shoulder to shoulder standing against wickedness together place where we can bring our shame and be accepted, a place where we can care for others even when they don't care for us, that that, that desire would so stir in them now, a greater desire than, you know what, I'm okay, I listen, I go to church here and there and I hear some sermons, it's good, I'm alright, I love God. And that strategy of the enemy to isolate them, to get them off away from the herd, 
begin to destroy them and that old sin that always kind of makes them feel bad and so they're like well I, I, I can't really be honest in who I really am because they won't accept me that all those lies could melt right now and that hope to have these kind of friendships could arise again inside of them and then the wisdom that loyalty is fought for it's fought through it's fought to there's, there's just not these magical relationships that never have problems they don't exist and that loyalty says your people are my people even when your people don't treat me like they're supposed to your God is my God even when I don't see the benefits because your God's made you bitter and where you go I'm going to go even with where you're going sucks it's not good at all God that that kind of loyalty will begin to per percolate in our congregation, in our family. And that they'll come from around the world to study us and say, how do you do that? How did y'all get to that? How did black, white, Hispanic, Asian folks do life together? How, how did young and old embrace each other and keep embracing each other when, when they've hurt one another? Heal us, oh God. Let something stir inside of us to be loyal again. Let, they call, let them call our generation a great generation. Let them call this season of the church the great season of the church. May something great happen in us that transforms the generation to come. Now with your head bowed and your eye closed, maybe you say, Pastor, i got to be honest, I haven't been loyal to Jesus. So, Pastor, you know, you talk about Jesus like he's your best friend. He is. He is my best friend. And maybe you say, I don't have that. Like, I went to church when I was a kid, or I, I said a prayer, or like I read the Bible every now and then, but I don't have that kind of relationship like it seems like you have. Friend, can I tell you something? You're just a prayer away. Maybe you'd even say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but you know, life happened. I feel separated or divorced from Jesus. I, you might even would say, you know, if I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. I'm pretty sure. If I stood before Jesus, he'd look at me and go, man, why? Why Why didn't you let me into your life? Why'd you keep pushing me away? I got such good news for you. That's, that's not, that didn't have to be the end of the story. Today can be a day of change for you. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen, you got to understand. You love God or you wouldn't even have showed up at this place. It's like church. It wasn't a club. You know it wasn't a club. You came in here because God's been tugging at your heart for weeks, months, years now. Today I'm asking you, do you want him in your life? The old preacher said it like this. There's a door between you and Jesus. But the doorknob's on your side. You have to open the door and let him into your life. And I just told you how that happens. By confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that he's the Christ. Because... Because what that is, the imagery there, is like what happen, happens at a wedding when that man and woman look at each other and say, I do, till death do us part, committed to you. You're committed to me. And Jesus is trying to commit to you. He's been committed to you. He's wanting to know, do you want a relationship with him? With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor, you're talking to me right now. I'm away from God. I don't know Jesus. I want Jesus. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want Jesus in my life. I want, I want, I want, I want to repent. I want to be right with God. Then then would you let me pray with you? I'm not going to call you forward. I don't need to point you out. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. This is a deep, eternal decision that you're making right now. Will you be a follower of Christ? Will you have a relationship with the living God? Will you be loyal to that relationship as he's loyal to you? With no one looking around, if you say, Pastor, that's me. It's time. I'm ready. I'm ready. I want you to pray for me. You see, I'm going to pray with you. We're going to pray. It's going to be a prayer of dedication, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of making Jesus our Lord and Savior making him our best friend. With no one looking around, if I'm speaking to you and God's dealing with your heart and you're ready to become a Christian or you want to come back to Jesus, would you let me pray with you? Would you acknowledge that by just lifting your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. It's time. I need to get right with the Lord. Quickly slip your hand up. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Quickly, give about three or four more seconds. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being authentic. I love authentic people. Don't let no shame get in the way. This is your moment. Don't let anything take you away from the hand of God. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Don't you dare, don't you dare let the lies that you're not good enough or you won't be good enough after this. 
That has nothing to do with nothing. He's good enough for all of us. Anyone else? Two more seconds. Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to serve God. I'm ready to repent. I want Jesus in my life. Amen. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right here, right now. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray alongside of you. But those of you, those of us who've lifted our hands, I want you to mean this from the depths of your heart. There's nothing magical about the words, but supernatural. You said, I want God. And you lifted your hand and said, yes, I want God in my life. Now, all I'm going to do is help you put a period at the end of the sentence by a prayer of dedication and a prayer of repentance. So let's say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. And I know I've sinned against you. But I ask you now to forgive me of my sins, to wash me clean. Here and now, I accept your forgiveness. Here and now, I receive your love and your compassion. And Jesus... I declare you are the Lord of my life. I will serve you all the days of my life. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me. Say it again. Say, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who cried out to you in this holy moment. Even those that maybe didn't have have quite the moment, courage to lift their hand. But they prayed. And they cried out to you. Lord, I thank you right now. They are forgiven. I pray they would feel the peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray, Lord God, when the thoughts come to them, oh, you didn't realize I am forgiven. And the moment, Lord, look what you're doing again, that they would be able to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. And the moment, Lord God, that the lie says, you, you know what, that church, they didn't really love you. And Jesus didn't really real. they say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's a lie. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the living God. And he will get me across the finish line where I cannot go in my own strength. Jesus will do that for me. He will get me across. He'll help me overcome this addiction. He'll over, help me overcome this perversion. He'll over, help me come my, my, my foolishness. Jesus, we thank you that, Lord God, that there will be a joy that just bubbles up inside of every man and woman who cried out to you today. The Bible, you, the Bible calls it the, the joy of our salvation. Lord, I thank you. The elephant has been removed from the relationship. They have repented. They've asked for your forgiveness. You've forgiven them, and now y'all are best friends. Now, Lord, help them grow. Help them mature in this relationship. Help them find other great Christian friends in this church that we can do life together. Squad goals and move forward in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen and amen.